three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 431. Welcome in. Uh, got a couple quality things to talk about. I want to start today with Thursday Night Football. On Thursday Night Football, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the LA Chargers 34-28 to in overtime. And this was a big win for Kansas City. It had This game had massive implications in the battle for the AFC West. If LA had won this game, the Chargers would be tied with Kansas City at 9-5 and with three games left in the year. Instead, because they lost, Kansas City is now two games ahead of LA with only three games left. It's a big deal. And there are two factors I want to talk about in relation to how this game played out. One of them is overtime, and one of them is fourth down conversions. They're kind of intertwined. So LA went for it on fourth down five times. They only got it two of those five times. And they got stopped on fourth and goal two times in this game. In total, LA, the Chargers, had three trips to the goal line that got them zero points. That is a big problem. They got stopped on fourth and goal twice. Uh, where they, they actually had the ball first and goal from the five two times and did not score. Then they fumbled on a third and goal from inside the one-yard line. Joshua Kelly fumbled. Uh, L.A. had so many opportunities to win this football game. They even had a double pass where Mike Evans was wide open and Keenan Allen couldn't get in the ball. Now, did Mike, Al- Mike, Mike Williams run too far downfield? Was he supposed to throttle down? I don't know what happened. It looked like there might have been a miscommunication. But either way, that's a big missed opportunity. You got to hit that. And I say all of that, you know, they, they got stopped on in the goal line. They got, they missed an, a big play on a double pass. I want to tell you that I, I have no sympathy for the Chargers losing this game. People are complaining that in overtime, LA never got the ball. Kansas City got the ball first in overtime. They scored, they got a touchdown. They won game over and I get it. It would have been fun to see Justin Herbert get an opportunity to have a possession to maybe respond and tie the game up and keep the game going. But what I don't like is people acting like L.A. did not have plenty of chances to win this football game. This game should have never gone to overtime. I mean, don't forget, L.A. even had the ball with like a minute 16 left tied, 28-28. They had the ball at the end of the game with an opportunity to put together a drive to win the game, and L.A. couldn't do it. Like, Justin Herbert did have a possession at the end of the game with a chance to win. It just wasn't in overtime. So I really, I don't like hearing the victim stuff or the, oh, poor me, or, or like I, Marcus, the franchise guy on Twitter. I love that guy so much, but he's like, you know, it really sucks. Justin Herbert didn't get a shot to win the game. He had plenty of chances. And I don't, I don't, I think I mischaracterized what Marcus said, but I just, I'm like, man, there's a lot of people out there going, oh, I didn't get the ball in overtime. I hate this. And I, I get it, but let's not pretend that the Chargers didn't have a ton of opportunities to win this football game. Plus, Kansas City even handed a touchdown literally to L.A. Patrick Mahomes had the ball third and two on his own nine-yard line. Ball got tipped, got picked off. It gave L.A. first and goal at the two-yard line. The Chargers had so many opportunities to win this game. They had four opportunities to get field goals and chose not to. They got stopped on fourth down in times where they could have kicked instead and any one of, if they kicked one of the field goals, that would have been the difference in the game. They would have won. And by the fourth time, I like going forward on fourth down, but maybe by the fourth time, you're like, hey, are we really going to pass up another field goal? Maybe you just kick the field goal. Like there, there's a point where you run into a wall and you're like, we're trying the same thing over and over again and it isn't working. And 
I, I like going forward on fourth down, but optically, you got to answer to your fan base, and you don't want your fan base to mutiny and get angry every time you go forward on fourth down. You want going forward on fourth down to be something that's exciting, people rally behind, rather than something people think is a big problem with your football team. And I, I got to say, I like going forward on fourth down. I hope that this game does not result in Brandon Staley, the head coach, and the Chargers deciding to not go forward on fourth down in the future because going forward on fourth down puts a lot of pressure on the defense. They go, oh my gosh, we just got to stop on third down. We got to do it again. And when you have four opportunities, four downs to get a first down, it gives your offense so many more options. Like you can do way more. Instead of on third and 11, if you don't need to throw for 11 yards, you can throw for eight, take what the defense gives you, sets up fourth and three, you know you're going for it. There's so many situations. Third and six, hey, it's okay to throw your check down and get four yards because you know on fourth and two, you're going for it. It's a massive advantage to go for it on fourth down. I really love it. I like the options it gives you. I just hope that people don't look at the outcomes of this game and say, oh, we can't go for it ever again. Because if LA gets one of those ter- one of those opportunities, they probably win the game. But what I'm not here for is people pretending like LA didn't have a bunch of opportunities to win this football game. And I want to say this about NFL overtime. I understand people are frustrated when it You know, one team gets the ball first, they score, the game ends, the other team never gets an opportunity to respond. I understand why that's frustrating. But the NFL does not want longer extended football games. Number one, it's a time problem. They don't want to be baseball, having these four-hour, five-hour games that go on and on and on and never end. The other thing, and it's hard to argue that the NFL cares about safety, given what's going on with the COVID outbreaks and they're not moving games back, it's... See, they're money-driven, first and foremost, absolutely. But the safety concern with overtime is the more snaps you play, the higher risk you are, uh, the higher a risk you have of getting injured. As overtime works now, currently what it does is it works to quickly decide a winner. If four quarters isn't enough, you get 10 minutes, and that's it, and that's... That's almost the length of a quarter. That's two-thirds of a quarter length anyway, 15 minutes. And the only thing I hate about NFL overtime is is tying. I I don't mind that if you get the ball first and you score, hey, fine, you deserve to win. Because the other team had literally an hour, four quarters, an hour of playing time. They had a chance to win. They couldn't win in four quarters. So now you get the ball first, you win. Fair enough. But what I hate is if 10 minutes go by, no one scores, or they're tied three to three, then we tie. That is terrible. I hate that because ties don't help anybody. It just hurts both teams. And I think if it's still tied after 10 minutes of overtime, we should do what college football does, which is to have maybe do two point conversions until one team is the winner, something like that. I like that. Let's not have ties, but let's not overreact and be angry at overtime and and definitely do not make the argument that LA didn't get a real opportunity to win that game because they had so many opportunities. They got handed opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they lost. Now, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Kansas City. They made a comeback. They put together a drive in a two-minute scenario to tie the game. Travis Kelsey, their tight end, had 10 catches for 191 yards and two touchdowns. He had two big runs after the catch, including the game-winning touchdown in overtime. One went down to the, like, one-inch yard line. It almost was a touchdown. Travis Kelsey is amazing. Uh, Tyreek Hill had 12 catches for 148 yards and another touchdown. I, I got to say, it's unbelievable the production that KC gets out of these two guys. It's it's crazy. Like, their whole offense basically 
predicates on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill making big plays. And like Kansas City even missed some opportunities. They had a touchdown to Michael Hardman on fourth and one from the two yard line or, you know, one and a half yard line, basically. And Patrick Mahomes threw the ball into the ground. Like both teams had a lot of chances here. I'm, I'm really just not here for the no one got a fair chance. Also, I will say Justin Herbert against Patrick Mahomes, KC versus LA. These two teams and, and two quarterbacks are going to play each other two times a year for a long time and I'm very grateful football is better for it it's fantastic it's always fun when these two teams play each other I feel like it's always a good game it's always close it's always interesting and I don't know if rivalry is the right word I think a rivalry needs some hatred or some anger or something there there's not really an edge to this rivalry yet although it has time to develop over the years as they go on but every single time KC plays LA. It's an amazing game. It's fun. It's exciting. It's interesting. And I just, from a football standpoint, am grateful that this battle or rivalry or whatever you want to call it exists. It's really, really awesome. Now, there is one final uncomfortable thing we have to talk about from this game. Um, LA tight end, former XFL standout for the Dallas Renegades, I believe. I think it was the Dallas. I think they were called the Renegades. I don't really... It's funny, I like I remember the XFL so vividly I covered it and I already forgot one of the team names. Uh Donald Parham, the Chargers tight end, got hurt on a play on fourth and goal. It looked like he hit his head on the it wasn't like he took a crazy hit, it looked like he hit his head on the turf, actually. Uh got a head injury, and it was terrifying. He was out cold. Um, he was laying there just like out of it, and his hand was like twitching and now, the update on that is he, he did get a really bad concussion. He is in stable condition. As The last I heard was they're planning to release him later today, which is Friday. Um, one thing I want to say about this that I thought was very weird. Broadcaster Joe Buck said something. He goes, you know, because Donna Parham's hand was like twitching as they took him off on a stretcher, which is horrifying. And Joe Buck goes, well, maybe he's shivering because he's cold. And I'm like, Oh, we're playing indoors in L.A. What are you talking about? And I, it was actually so absurd and weird. I almost wonder if maybe someone like a producer or the NFL itself said, hey, Joe, you better say that maybe he's cold because we don't want the audience to to really understand how bad this is. I, I, I don't know. I, I like, did he get told to say that? Because it's so out of left field. It's so weird. I would if I got the order to say that, I'd be like. I'm not saying, no way, you say it. I'm not saying that. I'm not putting my credibility on. So I don't know how that happened. I don't know what that statement was. It was very weird. Um, I'm I'm glad, and, and I'm glad, I don't even know I'm glad. I'm hoping Donald Parham does end up okay. It was really scary. And I would be jarred, like watching the rest of the game. And, and even if I was playing in that game, I'd be a little hesitant anytime I got the ball. I'd be like, ah, I don't want to get my, my, my bell rung. Um, and the whole situation involving Donald Parham was uncomfortable. And then Joe Buck made it even more uncomfortable. So I am, I'm hoping that Donald Parham uh, comes back from his concussion and is okay in the long run. It was a very, one of the more uncomfortable injuries I've seen in a long time in football. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. We got good stuff ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. This is a topic that I think is really fun to examine. So let's jump in. 
there are nine teams in the NFL this year that I think have been disappointing. And I would, I would say they're, they've had disappointing seasons for different reasons, right? And it's kind of rhymey and sing-songy and fun. Uh, now, team number one is the Cleveland Browns. And I don't know, I mean, it is the Browns' fault that they've had a bad year, but it's the reason why the Browns have been disappointing to me. They're not terrible, but I had such high expectations of them. Right, And it's because of the expectations I put on them that I look at the Browns and go, man, that's not what I expected. And, you know, they made the playoffs last year. They won a playoff game. I believed that the Browns would build off what they did last year. I mean, going into this year, I said they might even be the most complete team in the NFL. They have weapons everywhere. I was excited about it. They had great receivers, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, I predicted the Browns would go 13 and four. I was talking about maybe them winning a Super Bowl. And as it is right now, Cleveland's going to be lucky to even make it into the playoffs. And that, to me, is disappointing. I thought they'd be a dominating force. And it's, it's clear I got ahead of myself. Injuries really threw them off. They traded away Odo Beckham Jr. And that's a big one, right? Like Odell was one of the keys to their offense. I was excited to watch. Didn't work. They had to get rid of him. Baker, I know Baker Mayfield's been hurt, their starting quarterback. Uh, he's got a torn labrum or partially torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. But he hasn't made good decisions. He's been inaccurate. It's he, Baker's not played well. He's been disappointing. And all around, I mean, I thought the Browns were just capable of more. And I, I thought they were going to be a Super Bowl contender. They are not. So to me, the Browns have had a disappointing year. Disappointing team number two. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, look, anytime you fire your coach after a 2-11 and start, I think you qualify for a team that's had a disappointing year. But it's worse than that. They hired Urban Meyer, and he's one of the biggest train wrecks I remember in my lifetime as a head coach in any sport, including football. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm like, I, the amount of drama and the amount of negative stories and the amount of bad press he gave his team and the ways he hurt his team is incredible to me. It's actually kind of a, maybe an amazing accomplishment. Was he trying to get fired? A lot of people kind of say he was trying to get fired. I, the Jaguars don't want to pay him out the rest of his contract. So we'll see if I don't think he did sabotage himself. I think he's just, I mean, he, he has kind of this tyrannical ruling style that didn't work. And I, I did not expect the Jaguars to be good. Let's be clear. Like they were uh, the team with a number one overall pick last year. They're a bad football team, but urban Meyer had a ton of drama. He could not connect. He's a college coach who really struggled to connect with NFL athletes and relate to them in their way. Again, I think it's because he approaches with this tyrannical dictator style where he's like my way or the highway. I mean, one of the most damning things about him is, and I, I don't think I even, talked about it enough as I I could have when he got fired is there's that story where he kicked the kicker Josh Lambeau what's interesting to me is the the amount of arrogance you have to have to kick another human being and not expect them to retaliate Urban Meyer knew if the player kicks me he's out but I can kick him anytime I want that's a perfect example of how he just doesn't view things the right way I think to coach at any level, but especially not in the NFL where guys are making millions of dollars as well and have more power in college. Un unfortunately, you can demean your players and get away with it. In, in the NFL, they're like, uh, no. And, and I, what I really like is that 
even in college now, we're seeing that style just isn't working and those jobs are getting few and far between. Now, drama aside, and, and calling it just drama is, is generous, what I think Urban Meyer had to do and, and what he failed at doing, which was the number one most important thing for him to do this year, he needed to show progress from game number one to game number 17. Throughout the course of the year, the Jaguars had to get a little bit better. And instead, it actually felt like they kept taking steps backwards. Like, they got worse as the year went on. And Urban built this negative environment. He threatened people. He couldn't handle losing at all. Like, even in the preseason, he was scorching mad at his assistant coaches. And I'll never understand the constant berating of his assistants when he, remember, he hired them. You can't hire people and then be angry that they are who they are. And it's also weird. Like, he took over the Jaguars. What did he expect? Did he think he was going to step into the league and go 17-0 and and have a great year? I don't, I don't know. It's a delusion and weird, and Urban seems like a terrible person. But let's be clear. The reason why the Jaguars have had a disappointing year, first and foremost, is their now former, thank God he's gone, former head coach, Urban Meyer. Number three, the Raiders did not start the year in a disappointing way at all. They started 3-0, and and they were dominating. I remember Derek Carr was on pace to break like every record in NFL history passing and then somebody released John Gruden's emails. Uh, he resigned, so he was gone. Then Henry Ruggs III, their former first-round pick, young star receiver who was playing very well. Um, to put it, I don't know if this is too blunt, he, he killed someone drunk driving, which is horrible. He's probably going to go to jail for a long time. So he's gone. And then Damon Arnett, their, another one of their first-round picks, posted a video of himself threatening somebody with a... And I, I got to be careful of my words to not get demonetized. A weapon that shoots small pieces of metal very quickly. He was threatening someone with one of those. And so he's gone as well. And I, I'm not excited about that. I probably, I probably like it. I get excited. About it. He's gone. I'm not striking someone out. This is, this is real life stuff. This is sad. This is not fun. And it's really simple. In a matter of days, all three were gone. And the Raiders season got totally derailed and it's it's horrible it's not good and they're in a weird spot because as a franchise like they have some good stuff going on they've got well mostly the best thing they have is a, a good quarterback Derek Carr in my opinion but they're gonna have to get a new head coach seems like and losing your first round picks you have to fill those positions again and you, it's a lot of progress lost so uh, the rebuild and, and people are talking about a rebuild is going to be Really, really brutal in Vegas, and I, it's just it's been a disappointing year, no matter how you quantify it for the Raiders. Number four, the Carolina Panthers have been disappointing. And I remember when they traded for Sam Darnold, the Jets' young quarterback, and I thought, oh, boy. They found a franchise quarterback, and they did it on Le Cheap. They traded only a second-round pick for what I thought was going to be a franchise quarterback, Sam Darnold, and I was like, hey, well done. And then Carolina actually started 3-0. and and I'm sitting there like, dude, this is awesome. I, I like Matt Rule. I want Sam Darnold to work. This is fantastic. And now they're five and eight. Sam Darnold has seven touchdowns and 11 interceptions on the year in, in only nine games. He got hurt. They brought in Cam Newton again. They still aren't winning. They did beat Arizona. It was a surprise in Cam. It was his first game. He didn't start, but he played a lot and Looked really well. I mean, that was like a, a glimmer of hope against Arizona on the road. 
And then it's been bad ever since then again. And they actually fired their, quote, genius young offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. And now people are even, you know, taking aim at the Panthers head coach, Matt Rule, as well. And I've just, not going to lie to you, I'm sad. I, you know, I, I think if I had to pick two teams in the NFL to be a fan of, because I can't pick just one, it would be the Colts and Carolina. I, I like both teams a lot. I, I like the way they do stuff. I like what's going on. And I, I really, I still want to say I believe in Matt Rule. It's getting harder. Um, and I, and I, I just so much believed in what they were doing. I believed in Sam Darnold. I believed in Joe Brady. I was like, yes, this is awesome. A 3-0, it's working. And I I really wanted things to work in Carolina. They haven't. And I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I am sad about it. Number five, bit of a weird one to include the Lions in a list of teams that have had a disappointing year. Remember, you know, they're 1-11-1, right? And no one expects Detroit to win. Now, let's be clear about that. But I would call their year disappointing because they've had so many weird and heartbreaking losses. I mean, they lost to Baltimore and Minnesota and Chicago all on, you know, game-winning kicks on a last-second field goal. And the Ravens' kick, by the way, was the longest in NFL history. How about that? Of course, right? Like, what a way to lose. That sucks. They tied Pittsburgh. By the way, when Big Ben wasn't playing, like, that was a great opportunity. They still didn't win. They lost to Cleveland by three. Uh, Week one, they actually almost came back against the 49ers. They lost that game by eight. They actually led Green Bay 17-14 to at halftime. Like, they they were leading the Packers at halftime, didn't score any points, and the second half lost 35-17, and you're like, of course, Detroit. So Detroit won 11 and one. That could easily have been, what, six and seven, five and eight. Like they've lost a lot of games they could have won and missed a lot of opportunities. And I just, that, that's, it's not because the Lions are bad that they're disappointing. It's the fact that they almost won all these games that they still lost. That's what's been disappointing about Detroit this year. Number six, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I would say they had a disappointing start. The Dolphins started the year one and seven. Since then, they've actually won five in a row. Uh, if they beat the Jets during week 15, they will have climbed all the way back to seven and seven, which is a very, very impressive feat. Basically, if you start the year one and seven, your year is over. You got no hope. And the fact that they're even in the running, like they're even in the playoff race at all is, is really unbelievable. It's, it's a testament to what they're doing. And, and recently, the Dolphins have played much more like I expected they would all year. Tua is showing progress. Their defense has been good. But I want to not get confused. Despite the wins recently, a 1-7 start is a massive failure in Miami. And I I predicted they would go 11-6. They actually might, if they win out, if somehow they can win every game between now and the end of the year, Miami would go 10-7, which is basically one game worse than I predicted. So it, there's still a possibility it actually ends up getting pretty close to my prediction. But you can't start the year one and seven. That's just not not cool. Not appropriate. Shouldn't happen. And I've also I've been disappointed for a while, partially because I thought Tua had a really slow start. It took him a while to get going and start playing well. So uh, yeah, I would I would think a Miami Dolphins fan would agree their year has been disappointing. Number seven, the Jets are bad, right? Like, and that's that's disappointing, but also expected, right? The Jets. I knew they would be bad. I'm sure their fan base knew they would be bad. That's not funny. I mean, a little bit it is. But I, the, the one thing I 
had expectations for with the Jets this year. I really thought their young rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, would be like the lone bright spot during a losing season. It hasn't happened that way. I mean, he almost lost his job to Mike White. Mike White has had a better game this year than Zach Wilson's had all year. It's not been good. And it's fine that Zach Wilson has been bad. Like He's a rookie. He's learning. I, I'm not going to—I think a lot of people are ready to get rid of the kid already. I'm like, come on, guys. Let's relax. I'll do a film analysis on him, and we'll talk about what's going wrong. But the more he plays, the more he's collecting film to look at in the offseason and learn from his mistakes. And I don't think you can give up on a talented kid like Zach Wilson after just one year. But he does have six touchdowns and 11 interceptions, and it's certainly not going the way I thought it would. I, I thought it wouldn't be a moment where we're in week 15 going, hey, people want to get rid of him. I thought we'd be going, oh, thank goodness the Jets found their starting quarterback. I think everyone felt that way. So, again, he's a rookie. I have patience. The dude is learning. Uh, and he did have, he had one good game against Tennessee, but that's it. And otherwise, I've been waiting. I'm like, hey, why was this guy the number two overall pick? Why was I so excited about Zach Wilson? Where is the, the play we saw in college? And a lot of people are going to say he played at BYU, but no, he had NFL habits at BYU, and we're not seeing them in the NFL. And I just would be lying to you if I, if I said I wasn't disappointed in the way that Zach Wilson has played this year. It's been a disappointment, and it's uh, not fun. Okay, number eight and nine, the final two teams on the list, they're kind of almost honorable mentions. So number eight is Seattle. I predicted Seattle would go six and 11 this year. I expected them to be bad, uh, but I, I also have no doubt that their fan base is disappointed. Russell Wilson got hurt. He missed some games, and... I think their fan base in Seattle is realizing that outside of Russ, there isn't much good going on on that roster. There's a couple, like they have a couple aging veterans and key players, but that, it's not enough to win. They're not a good football team. They have a couple solid players that aren't enough to bolster the bad roster around them. And what's even worse, they don't even have their first round pick. <laughs> like they might, it's 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 unlikely but possible that Seattle's going to get will earn a top five pick, but they actually traded it away to the Jets in, in return for Jamal Adams, who mm, hasn't helped them win. I don't know, man. I, I just, I want to say this. It's been a disappointing year for Seattle. I saw it coming. I expected that. Call me a prophet, right? I, I thought they were going to be terrible this year. Um, and they might be, they're six and I think eight right now, five or five and eight right now. They could finish better than six and 11, but the point remains the same. They're not a good football team, and they're losing a lot. And I just – I saw it coming, but I want to say I feel bad for Seattle. I understand why you guys are disappointed, and uh, I, I think this is why it, – it's so important when your team shows signs of losing and, and, and little – I think the signs for years were there with Seattle, where they were getting worse and worse, but their fan base like diehard supporters. And being a diehard supporter is great, but you have to when your team – shows weaknesses and cracks and problems. You have to call them out because if they don't get addressed, you end up with a bad football team. And I think unaddressed problems that the fan base has ignored for years and let slide because, ah, well, we love our team. And that's great, but you have to be realistic and I think objective about your team too. And if I were a fan of Seattle, I would have been furious years ago 
why are we not building Russell Wilson a great offensive line? Why are we not supporting our quarterback more? Why are we not drafting better receivers for him? I, there's all kinds of stuff I would have been really frustrated about for years in Seattle. I think their fan base let slide. And I think you can, part of loving something is wanting what's best for it. And I think the blind loyalty to Seattle recently and their football team really hurt them because no one is keeping them accountable and asking for better moves from their front office. Okay, team number nine, the Colts. Now, uh, how do, how do you call the Colts disappointing? I think, here's how. Uh, it, despite the fact that it looks like they're going to make the playoffs and Carson Wentz, their new quarterback, has been awesome, Indy started the year 1-4. and four. And I know it sucked because it it's clear that they're better than that. Like, Indy was better than their 1-4 and four start. And I uh, it was so frustrating, right? They played a lot of tough teams early on, playoff teams, most likely. And Indy had a ton of injuries that really held them back. But at this point, here's why they're they're disappointing. At this point in the year, I expected Indy to be in the driver's seat. And now it looks like they're a team that's going to be barely making it into the playoffs with a wild card spot, just kind of hoping they get in. And the year isn't over. But the way the Colts started the year on the wrong foot and put them so far behind where they needed to be and having to climb back into a 500 record and climb back into having a positive season. I, I thought they'd be front runner, front runner from the beginning early on and they haven't been, it took them a while to climb back. And that to me is the definition of a disappointing season. I mean, they just, it was a bad start that has been, uh, I, I, it's pretty clear they were much better than that. So was it a disappointing year? Not entirely. I guess maybe uh, I said it's definition. I probably should have said it was the definition of a disappointing start to the year which I know they're better than that. And uh, I would call the Colts my number nine most disappointing team of the year. I mean, I, I was talking, when they traded for Carson Wentz, go go look at, listen to what I said. I'm like, they're a Super Bowl team. I was like, I think Carson elevates them so far. And I think Carson has, I think it's a team around him that got hurt and wasn't good enough. And so um, it's sad. Those are my nine disappointing teams this year in the NFL. Uh, someone write in, let me know, what are your disappointing teams? I, I, I probably could have included, well, there was one team I, I slashed off this list. It felt unfair. Um, I mean, if your team is bad, you're disappointed. But even if your team, uh, I think that's what I like about this list, is that even if your team makes it into the playoffs, like maybe Cleveland does, maybe the Colts do, it can still be a year that's not as good as you expected. So let me know, what teams do you think about a disappointing year this year in the NFL? My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break when I return. We will talk about the NFL week 15 coming up. What games are good? What games are uh, maybe even even a little bit uncomfortable? My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, let's jump in. Let's talk about NFL week 15. There are four games I am excited to watch during NFL week 15 this weekend. Uh, there are also three games I'm interested in. And then there are three games I am Feeling a bit weird about. So there's three tiers. Excited, interested, but cautious, and then weird and uncomfortable a little bit. So game number one, the game I cannot wait for. It's my number one game this week, and I, it's going to be fantastic. The quarterback battle, the defense, the offense is going to be fantastic. On Saturday night in Indy, the New England Patriots go on the road to play the Indianapolis Colts. And this is the Patriots, the number one seed in the AFC against the Colts, who are 7-6, and six, trying to save their year trying to make it into the playoffs. Uh, it's a huge game. 
both teams have run the ball well all year. Remember, the Patriots had a game where they beat Buffalo, and they threw the ball three times all game. Uh, now, unfortunately, Patriots running back Damian Harris is not going to play. He has a hamstring injury. He's out. And I- I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for this game, and I can't, I can't share enough. Like, I'm like, ah, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't wait. I am hoping that Carson Wentz, the Colts quarterback, will step up here, kind of put the hammer down, and, and, and show why he was worth a first-round pick and earn kind of the respect around the league that I think he has deserved. I am a little bit worried. The reality is that Mac Jones could be the one to step up. I really believe in both of these quarterbacks, and uh, I just think it's going to be a fantastic, interesting, fun, exciting battle. I'm actually sad. I wish my dad, I live in Hawaii, and my dad's back home in the mainland, and I this is one of those games I wish I could watch with my dad and some nachos and just, it's going to be, this is one of the most anticipated games I've felt excited to watch in a long time. And I cannot wait to watch the Patriots at the Colts on Saturday, not Sunday, Saturday night. Game number two, Panthers at Buffalo. The Bills are seven and six. This is a must win game for the Bills. Uh, They are probably not going to win the division. The Patriots look like they are poised to win the division. And Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, is going to play, but he has a foot injury. And Now, we're hearing Mitchell Trubisky is ready to go if anything happens, but they took Josh Allen off the injury report. I don't know much more to break down here. Buffalo's a better team. They should win. They're at home, too. That's a huge advantage. It's going to be cold. But this is a must-win game for Buffalo, and I will be very interested in the outcome here. If they want to make the playoffs, this is a game they have to win. They cannot fall to 7-7 seven and seven on the year. Uh, similarly, we have the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they're playing at Denver on the road. Both teams are seven and six here. The Bengals had such a strong start to the year. And if they want to stay alive in the playoff race, both in the wild card hunt and in the battle potentially to win the AFC North, which is still wide open, Cincinnati has to win in Denver on the road. They also, similar to Buffalo, cannot afford to fall down to seven and seven. Game number four, the Jets at Miami. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. It's two interesting, fun, young quarterbacks. Rookie Zach Wilson for the Jets, who a lot of people have doubts about and are very concerned about. I'm excited to do a film analysis of him, uh, hopefully in February. And then he got Tua Tungavaloa, the Dolphins quarterback, who is, uh, he's been playing really well recently. I feel like Tua has been stacking performance after performance. And last time I watched him, I felt like he took a couple more risks and was throwing the ball a little more downfield. Back shoulder fades and some big digs and... I, I just think Tua we're seeing slowly build on what he's doing. He's actually number two right now in the NFL in completion percentage. Like Tua gets a lot of hate. He's playing very well. He's playing efficient football. And I heard a great quote. Tua basically said, like, I'm trying first to learn how to not lose games before I can learn how to win games. And it feel like he's really learning how to not give the game away. And he's experimenting a little bit, starting to throw the ball downfield a little more and make bigger and better throws. And I'm just excited about the growth of Tua. Miami has won five games in a row. And the Dolphins started one in seven on the year. They, if they win this game on Sunday, that would make them seven and seven, which would be a massive accomplishment to come all the way back from one and seven, win six games in a row, come back to 500, still be alive in the playoff race. That's unthinkable. If you started the year watching Miami and seeing them go one and seven to start the year. So, I'm very excited to watch Miami on Sunday. Okay, there are three games I'm interested in. Uh, I'm interested, but cautious. These are games I think will be in. uh, They have a chance to be exciting, but I'm not going to go all in and be like, yeah, let's pound the table, say it'll be great. Uh, The Packers at the Baltimore Ravens. In theory, it's two playoff teams that are good and fun. I think the Packers are a much better, more complete team. 
And unfortunately, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, has a sprained ankle and may not play. We might see Tyler Huntley, the backup, who I like, but it's, it's no Lamar Jackson. So it's, it's interesting, but I'm cautious there. Then you have the Saints at Tampa. Tampa should win this game probably by a lot. But what I'm interested in seeing is Taysom Hill, the Saints quarterback. We get to see more of him. And a lot of people think Taysom Hill is the Saints franchise quarterback or could be. I am not on that train at all. I, I am very much uh, not a believer in that at all. But we'll see. I'm excited to watch him and see how he does. So Taysom Hill will watch him at Tampa on Sunday. And then there's a fun game on Monday Night Football. There's actually two games on Monday night this week. We'll get into that in a moment. But the the primetime ESPN highlighted Monday night game is Minnesota, the Vikings at Chicago, the Bears. And it's a night game in December in Chicago. Anytime that happens, I'm excited. I just, I like the night. I want to go to Chicago someday. I want to be to the Windy City. Uh, and here's the storyline to me that I think is most interesting and weird. Um, the reality is, in my opinion, both this team, Chicago and Minnesota, their years are over. They're not going to make the playoffs. Minnesota's trying, but I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. But Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, is 1-7 and seven on Monday Night Football. That's horrible. Like, <laughs> that's not good. And he's got a long way to go to get back to 500 before he, he really can show he can win a Monday Night Football game. But, dude, you can't lose. Losing to this game here would really just cement that Kirk really seems, for whatever reason, and I think it's because he gets anxious and pent up in his head, cannot win in crucial key moments. And uh, Kirk really needs to win here to put any kind of doubt to that. He needs to just, he's not going to get rid of that narrative, but he needs to at least put some doubt in the fact that he cannot win on Monday night. Now, here are the three games that I am nervous about and I feel a little bit weird about. There's been a massive uh, Rona. I'm not going to say the the COVID because I don't want to get demonetized, but there's a big Rona outbreak. I, I shouldn't sound so excited when I say that. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, the LA Rams, and Washington are missing like 25 players, which is just, you can't feel the team. Sorry, there's no depth. It's it's not, it's a safety problem. It's, it's a big deal. And Washington and the Browns, like if they played on Sunday, would have neither of their quarterbacks, Case Keenan, Baker Mayfield, Taylor Henneke, or uh, Kyle Allen in, in Washington. Now, the NFL doesn't want to, like, skip a week or move things back for a lot of reasons. First of all, that would mean you have to move back to the Super Bowl, probably, which is a mess, plus the advantage of, like, well, teams would say, well, they got a week off, we didn't get a week off, and now they got a rest, and it would really throw off the entire year. The only thing you could do, potentially, is, like, say, we're taking an entire week off as an NFL league, and you can't do that because money, and it's... It's just a mess. There's advantages and unfairness, and I really don't like that these are games that are going to impact the playoff standings where LA, uh, LA, Washington, and Cleveland are all three teams in the hunt to potentially make the playoffs, and you're like, it's so wrong to have like their best players not be on the field. I, I feel super conflicted and wrong everywhere, so... um the NFL's answer to this is that on Monday night, on top of the already scheduled Monday night football game, we're getting the Raiders at the Cleveland Browns. And then on Tuesday, we will have the Seattle Seahawks at the LA Rams and also Washington at Philly. It's a mess to me. All options seem wrong. I don't really know if 
moving the games back two days is really going to mean that their star players are able to play. Plus then it still means they got a short week for the next week. It's there's no right answer here. It's a mess. I don't feel good about any of it. I don't know. What do you say? It's weird. The only positive thing I can possibly say about this outbreak uh, in this, this Rona, I'm going to bleep that out. This Rona outbreak is that we're going to get football basically every day for the next 10 days. Eight of the next 10 days we'll have football. That's fun and exciting, but I, I really I can't stress enough how wrong it is to have games take place that affect the playoff standings where the best players are not present. And by the way, these are guys who are healthy, who are not are not showing symptoms, but they tested positive. It's it's a mess. I don't it's a whole can of worms. I don't know the answer here. And it seems like no answer is right. And I I just wanted to share like I, I feel wrong, no matter what option is taken here and uh I, I just, it's, it's just unfortunate. It's, it's a situation that I don't like. I don't like the way the world is going right now. And it makes me unhappy. It makes me sad. And I, I, I hate that this is impacting football and impacting stuff that I, I like the world is a mess right now. And, and my personal life even is a mess. And so I'm like, Hey, football is my escape from that. And then it's bleeding into football and impacting everything. And it's, it's not fun for me or anyone watching, and I, I just, uh, I, I guess I should say, I'm, I'm supposed to say the correct thing to say is, I hope everyone's safe and good, but um, the reality is it, it, it's very disappointing, and there's not a right answer here, and it's all bad and unfun, and uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Again, I don't know how much moving games back two days really means that it's going to, like, is Baker going to be able to play for Cleveland on Tuesday now, or on, on Monday now? I don't know. I is Taylor Heineke going to play on Tuesday for Washington? I don't know. Does moving the game back really help? But it's it is seem like the best thing possible for the NFL because you can't really take a week off and cancel everything. Because I mean, the Super Bowl is just it's this event at the end of the year in February. It, the logistics of trying to move that are insane and basically impossible. So um, it's all a mess, and I don't like any of it. But I'm doing the best we can. So um, that's NFL Week 15. I can't stress enough. If you are looking for one thing, you cannot wait to watch. Go watch Patriots at Colts on Monday or on on Saturday night. Monday. Why do I keep saying Monday? On Saturday night, Patriots Colts. I think it's a game of the weekend. And uh, oh boy, I can't wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to. I should get something good to eat because I I need to sit down and really like lean into it and enjoy it and have a good time. And I hope you do as well. Enjoy football this weekend and watch the Patriots at Colts on Saturday. All right, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. That is all I have for this episode of Strong Opinion Sports, episode 431. I love you. I appreciate you. Bam, we are done.